Thank you that because of him, we have full access to you right here and now. We bless your name. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said amen. Let's give God some praise. Amen. Amen. Our children may head out that way, and all the rest of us are going to hang out. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out, and you can go to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 12 today, technically starting at verse 12 today. But I want to back up and go back to last week for just a couple of minutes as we get started this morning, because there's just something going on in my heart that I think I need to express to you guys. Thank you, friend. So... The very beginning of Philippians chapter 1, Paul begins and he tells the people how thankful he is for them, uh, for, for who they are, for what God has made, for what God has done in them. And I look around this room and I see students that I have watched worship Jesus and grow like crazy over the last couple of years. And it, man, it just, I give thanks to God every time I see that. I see miracles sitting on the front rows right here, here and here. I see miracles that I have watched God do over the last couple of years. And some of those he's still very much in process of doing. And that doesn't stop right there because I see teachers all over this place who pour into children, who pour into the bridge ministry, who pour into our adults, who pour into our young couples every single week. And I thank God for them every single day. And right now, I'm thinking back, and I'm thinking back to January of 2020. That was the beginning of something that just wasn't fun. It really culminated on March the 12th when we ceased to worship here after March the 12th for about two months. One of the most bizarre times in the history of the church as far as I'm concerned. And I remember there was a young guy that had just started working for us uh, as a worship pastor. And one of the songs that he sang that first week that we started was the very first song that we did today. Victory. God gives us victory. When, when the enemy's trying to tell us something, show us something, teach us something different, the very first song I remember singing online on that following Sunday was You Give the Victory. And what you're going to see today in the passage we're going to study is going to show us that, where that comes from, how you can, can figure out it. And strange title today for you, but I think I'm pretty good at strange titles, but contingent joy. What's your joy contingent on? What, what has to happen in your life in order for there to be joy? By the way, I mentioned that person that, that, that led us that day, uh, and it was just by himself in his studio back in Nashville. I appreciate Glenn and this team so much and uh, love these guys. And I can't believe that uh, God put him on this earth 36 years ago today, which is pretty amazing because, I mean, he looks like one of my kids' ages. I guess he could be one of my kids' ages. I, don't know. I won't even go there. But you see where I'm going, and I thank God for this man, but I thank God for this team that's in here worshiping every single day. As we dig in today, I want you to think about something. Just curious, how many of you in this room would say, I sure would like to have God just be a, a big part of my life? 
It's not a loaded question. I'm not, I'm not going to shoot you down if it's right or wrong on what you got. Or, because God knows what's really going on in your heart right there. Uh, because the key word there is part of your life. So it's not a game. What I'm asking you is, do you want God to be part of your life? Because most of you in this room would say, clearly God is part of my life. Now, here's where I want to mess with you a little bit. I think that that word, part, part of my life, is the key to wrecking your joy in your life. Because we want him to be part and not all. We want him in on the, the really big decisions, the things that we may not know how to handle, the, the struggles, the physical things, the mental things, the social things, the emotional things that come in our life. We want to be part of those when they get too big for us. And that's not what he wants in our life. He wants all of me. Now, I would be 100% lying to you if I said, okay, clearly he's got all of me. Because he's, I keep holding back on things. I keep struggling with things that I shouldn't be struggling with. After so many years of knowing Jesus, 40 years into this, I should be pretty good at this by now, right? I should have a, I should have a, I should have a hold on this. I should have... It should not be controlling me. He should not just be part of my life anymore. He should be all of me. And I should look at that every single morning. So follow me here. Life is going, life is going just like you wanted it to. And, and it's, it's, it's good. I mean, you wake up with a smile. You wake up with expectation. You wake up with things that you want to do. It's kind of everything you dreamed and planned for. And then life happens. And I don't know what it is in your life that happens, but it happens. You didn't ask for it. You didn't want it. But it is like steak on a skunk in your life, and you can't get rid of it because it's weighing you down. It's messing you up. It, you, you can't get away from what's stealing your joy. And I think this is that spot where you have a choice. You can be mad at the world. You can be mad at God. You can, you can go into a place where you just live bitterness, and because of that, you go into a place of reclusion. You just stay away from everything. Or you can go to a place where you accept the situation, maybe even saying this, God, what do you want to do with this? Because clearly I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable with this. This is not what I planned. But what have you got? What do you want to teach me? And that last choice is the only one I believe that will ever or even has the possibility of resulting in joy. When we finally give it all over. Where we don't want you to be part of our lives. We want you to be all of our lives. We want you to be in every choice that we make. So when we only know and experience joy when things are going the way that we want, we make our joy dependent on our circumstances that is contingent joy. Now, I'm going to bring up a couple of things here for a few minutes, and I'm going to see where you find yourself. This is kind of a self-examination for the next couple of minutes. Here's the, the negative side of contingent joy. We need certain things in order to make us happy. Very specific things often to make us happy. Like, for instance, maybe the right job. Or to make that team, or to make that, that, yeah, that team, like if we're in a high school or something and we want to be on a baseball team or a soccer team or something, we got to have that in order to be happy. 
some, for some of us, it's living at the right place or in the right structure or it looks right and then we'll be happy. Uh, for some of us, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the right recreation, the right, the right vacation. And that's the kind of thing that will make us happy. It's the circumstances around us that will make us happy. For some of us in this room, it's the other people around us that are contingent in our happiness. And this can go all different kinds of ways. I just think about it like this. When I, when I get the right people around me, then I'll finally be happy. For some of us in this room, when I finally get married, then I will be happy. You see, we've got it focused on the wrong part. He says, delight ourselves in him, and then he will supply our needs. And he knows exactly what those needs are, even better than we do. And, and don't get me wrong, I was the guy who was scared to death I might not ever get married. You see what I'm saying? We're all, we, we've all walked down roads like that. Here's another one, <laughs> kind of a strange one having to do with other people, but when I no longer have to work with or church with or live with this person or these people, then I can be happy. Because they're clearly causing the lack of joy that I have. And then one more thing that I think about on the negative side, happiness will happen sometime in the future, like after I die and when I go and be with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that that won't happen if you know Jesus. What I am saying is that what about now? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And it's not the full way over there. It's the full right here, right now. That's what he's got for us. So we're missing that joy. And if you're like me, and I think I've probably still got 30, maybe 35 years of life left if all goes well and I don't do something stupid, then am I really going to waste all those years not living in the joy of Christ? I want it all. I want it now. And that's what he wants for us. So here's the, the positive take on contingent joy. It takes almost nothing to make. There's joy even when it's raining and thunderstorm. There's joy when there's tornadoes coming and there's joy when the storms are clear. There's joy. It's a place of contentment in your circumstances. It's like Paul says, I've known what it's like to have a lot. I've known what it's like to have nothing. I've known what it's like to be sick and I've known what it's like to be well. I've known what it's like to be free and I've known what it's like to be in prison. And I found joy in all these things. Now what we have to remember is that joy doesn't come from people. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. And we've got that mixed up. We're told by the world. That, and we've got this, this self-help picture that somehow we can make this happen. And we can fake it, but we can't make it. We can't do it. Only Christ can do that. Uh, Jesus is the, is the answer, not people. Joy happens now. And then we look forward to even a greater joy when it comes to Jesus in heaven forever. That's why Paul can say, I rejoice today, right now, and again, I say rejoice, because it's not just a now, it's a then thing. Now, the Apostle Paul made a decision about contingent joy, and as we walk through this today, I want you to dig into this with me, even beyond this moment, and see if you can figure out whether he leaned toward the positive, or whether he leaned towards the negative. The first passage is uh, a little bit telling, so we'll go ahead and get and let this cat out of the bag. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I want you to notice what happens. Verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him, talking about Jesus, far more. 
I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times, uh, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Remember we talked about that with Jesus? Do you receive that one time? Just think about it. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent the whole night and day adrift in sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. In other words, everybody's coming after me. I have faced dangers in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. But yet he lives differently. I'm just saying, we complain. And I'm just telling you, my life is a cakewalk compared to what the Apostle Paul had to go through. Sam Storm said it like this, joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering, it is the presence of God. In this life, you will have troubles, trials, suffering. But don't struggle because I have overcome the world. Do you know who said that? Same guy. It was Jesus that said that. The answer seems clear, but look how Paul handles life in Rome under house arrest. Uh, uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12 says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. All this stuff that has happened to me. So what happened to Paul? What's this time that he's talking about? He's been put on house arrest for doing exactly, hear this, for doing exactly what God called him to do. Sharing the good news of the grace and love of Jesus Christ with everybody that he came in contact with. And the Jewish leader had enough. So they called on the Romans to take care of him and to put him away. Here's the first thing I see. If you've got the outline pulled up, and I hope you do, hard times can be a catalyst for good news. In other words, in some of the toughest times in your life, some of those things can turn into a perfect opportunity for the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forward. Now, only God can give that kind of confidence to Paul while he was going through hard times. And I'm just, I'm just now on the, the cusp of learning this. If we keep living joy, even in the tough times, we just might get to see God do something amazing. And I don't know about you, but I look forward to it every single time when we get to see God do a miracle, when we get to see God work in a life, change a heart. It encourages me so much. So the most unplanned, the most unpredicted, the most inconvenient the never desired, the I don't want to do this situations can open up doors that you would never have pursued had it not been for the way that God chose to work in this hard time. It's reality of life. You can think of it like this. And I've had to live this a lot 
in the last 15 or 20 years, and you probably have to. God never wastes a hurt. The difficult time, the difficult moment, the difficult struggle, he uses these struggles. Sometimes it's to make us who he wants us to be. Sometimes it's to put us into a situation where he wants us to be. Sometimes it's to put you in a place that you never could have gone on your own, but yet because of this struggle, because of this pain, it puts you in a place where you can help somebody who's struggling with the same thing. And he works like that in amazing ways. So is it possible that joy can happen because of the trouble that comes? And the answer is yes. Joy can come because of the struggles. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, Paul said this again. Different passage, different book. Same writer. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word God cannot be chained. I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Jesus in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. And I love this. Just think about what's happening. Paul is, is preaching. He's, he's teaching the gospel. He's, he's suffering. It's not a fun time. It's not something he would have ever picked. He's wearing chains. He's, he's on house arrest, but he's got a chain on him to keep him from leaving the house. But look at that awesome wordplay. I'm chained, but God's word can never be chained. Even though they locked me in this house, God's word will not. Because the reality is this, and, and this is happening in the world that we live in. The word of God is being burned. It's being shredded. It's been made illegal in places. These are all things that could happen right here in the United States of America. God's word will keep spreading. And I think about it like this. We worry about, hey, what if we can never get it again on our phone or our computer? What if we could never get it again because... Every copy is, is taken from us and burned in the streets. Let's say that actually happened. Well, let's go back to the New Testament when they were fortunate just to have a scroll. They didn't have what we have today. But yet the word of God continued to spread by word of mouth. And here's what would happen in our lives. Just like then, it would be just like now. It would continue to spread by the humans who knew it in their hearts and what God had already done in their hearts. It would continue to go out again. So hear me. Paul's plan got knocked off the, the rails, if you will. Everything that he was going for, it got messed up, but God's word and God's gospel never skipped a beat. Actually, it kind of looks like this was exactly what God's plan was. It was what he wanted. It was what he was doing. Could that really happen? And yes, and does it happen? Yes, and when Paul got this joy happened to him. It's almost like Paul had read back in Genesis chapter 50 and you look at a man named Joshua. Excuse me, Joseph. Different book, different time. Genesis 50, Joseph. At the end of that writing on Joseph, you get to see the beautiful picture and the words that Joseph says, what man intended for evil, God used for good. 
Some of you are going through that kind of stuff in your life right now. And it seems evil and it seems no good and it seems no fun, but God can use that. It, it seems that Paul was completely okay with being in jail instead of preaching in a church, which he had done over and over and over again. But preaching in church wasn't his goal. His goal was getting the gospel. And if it happened in the church, it happened in the church. But I'm just telling you, I think it happens more outside this place than it does inside this place because most people that are inside this place already have a little hint of what's going on. You even have a Bible. Most of you have, had a, have a story because of what God's done in your life. Paul said it like this in Acts, or, yeah, Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. What's that word? The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Just think about what he said. My life is worth nothing if it's not for this. Nothing I do matters except for this. So no matter how he got there or what the situation was, as long as the good news went out, joy kept coming for Paul because the good news couldn't be stopped. And I'm just telling you, friends, that's life-changing when you realize you've got that kind of purpose. Put the gospel first in everything that you do, everything that you do. Uh, it may be easy to do if you're a, a teacher or a preacher, but it should be easy to do in everything we do because I find greater opportunities, again, outside of this place than I do inside this place. That's where I find people that don't already know Jesus. It needs to happen in our relationships. The gospel is first in the place that we work. The gospel should be what's on our mind. What about that person that's sitting next to us? In our circumstances that we, we, we come up on something where somebody's hurting or an accident or a need that somebody has. With our neighbors that we have, there should be a gospel opportunity there. In our sports, in our schools, in our dance, in every form of social media, the gospel matters most. So how can that happen from a... From a spot where we're chained and guarded in a house simply because we were talking and doing about what we were supposed to be doing with the gospel of Jesus Christ when we're under house rest. How this was intended, this was intended to keep Paul from talking about the good news of Jesus. That's why he was under house arrest. But do you really believe Romans chapter 8 and verse 28? That God causes all things to work together for the good. Specifically for a specific group of people, for those who know him and are called according to his purpose. And if, if this is so, it's time for us to start living that no matter what kind of joy in our lives that comes from him. Billy Sunday said it like this. This is old, old stuff. If you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. And, and you see the others come in this room, but you also see yourself in the mirror. Is there joy there? I'm not even asking if there's a smile on the face. I'm asking, is there joy there in the circumstances, no matter what's come? So what's happened to Paul? Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, because of that thing that I never wanted, because of that thing I would never hope or dream or ask or wanted, because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. 
Now, that's the positive side. Because of the good stuff that's going on, God's doing some amazing things in the lives of those who are already believers. So, number two on your outline is this. Our disappointments may actually be God's appointments. The things that get us down may actually be part of God's plan in our life. But we have to see that it's his hand. It's, it, it's his will. It's his work in our lives. Speak here. It says, um, we boldly speak God's message without fear. And when you read Paul's letters, you're probably thinking, well, it, it's got to be with a large congregation that he's doing this. But the word there used for speak, I believe he's using that for us. Because I think this is where Paul was at this moment. The word for speak there, it doesn't mean preach so much as it means everyday conversation. Let that soak in for a second. That's what God wants from me and you. He's not, he's not necessarily looking for a preacher from you, and he might be. But more than anything else, he's looking for everyday conversation, talking about him. That is what he's looking for us. They can, they can cause those who have never opened their mouth about Jesus to start talking about him. That's what's supposed to happen here. In the 17th century, hundreds of years ago now, a man by the name of John Bunyan was a preacher, a congregational preacher. And he was, and this is, this is funny, not so funny, but he was so loud and so popular that the Church of England had him jailed to shut him up. And remember, there's no microphones anything these days, okay? And people gathered around to hear him. Soon he was preaching to large crowds crowds in the, in the uh, jail courtyard, and people were so interested in what he was hearing, they started gathering around the jail, outside the jail walls, to hear what Bunyan was saying. They wanted to hear him teach God's Word. One more try, they decided to essentially put him in solitary confinement to completely shut him up. And it was there that he began to pin the words to a book that probably a majority of you in this room have read, The Pilgrim's Progress, which became the most read and translated book for the better part of two centuries. You couldn't shut up the Word of God. That's what The Pilgrim's Progress is. It's the story of the gospel and how to live that out. Tens of millions have learned about the gospel through this book from a place that was intended to stop Bunyan from speaking. You've got to love the way God works. It's not expected. It's not the intention. And you, you also have to know that John Bunyan probably, there's no way he was like, yes, I'm finally in jail. And yes, solitary confinement. I love these people so much. And there's no way he could have possibly known that when he penned the words to that book that it could have done what it did. But God. Are you hearing me? But God. The gospel will not be stopped. Paul is saying, my conditions are not what I would ever have prayed for. Yet they have been right in the middle of God's will. So my not-so-fortunate circumstances have turned into crazy opportunities that I might not have ever had. People know why I'm here. That's what he's saying. 
People know why I'm here. Jesus, the good news, the gospel. So people inside this joint are hearing the truth. And it's going all the way to the top, all the way to Caesar, he tells us later. And what's happened to me, and because of the way I'm handling the situation, the believers outside these walls are now boldly talking about Jesus and his good news. They are encouraged by the way that I'm living. And I'm just going to ask you right now, are people encouraged by the way that you're living in Christ? Because i got serious doubts about what people see from me sometimes. But I know what God wants. I know what he wants from you and me. I know his desire for us. He's made this so clear. Look what happens here. This is kind of a strange ending to the story in Philippians 1, 15 to 18. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. They're preaching for all the wrong reasons. But others preach about Christ with pure motives. So some are doing it right, some are doing it wrong. Verse 16, they preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Verse 17, those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my change more painful to me. They're trying to cause me problems. They want me to get locked up tighter, so they're, they're preaching that same gospel to, to press me even further in or to gain attention for themselves. But look at what he says, verse 18, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. I don't even get where he's coming from with that. But he found a way to see the joy in it because what they were preaching was still the gospel, even though their motives were totally messed up. He's like, they may not even be believers, but yet the gospel is going out. And so in that, I'm going to rejoice. You know what? I'm going to continue to rejoice this. And that's number three. That's the last thing. God can turn obstacles into opportunities. And I don't know if you see obstacles in your life, but I see them every single day. And he can take those obstacles and he can turn those into opportunities. Our hope, our joy actually can make others want what we have. And that's what happened to Paul. They can't even see him. He's locked up in a house. He's chained in a house. He's guarded 24-7 so he doesn't get out and talk about Jesus. But yet it makes it all the way to the top and it's spreading all the way across. Only God can supply the hope when we have no idea how something's going to work out. And I don't know about you, but I got a lot of, I don't know how those are going to work out in my life. It takes faith, and in those, there's joy that can come. We never know how God might use our suffering to advance the gospel, but I do know this, we can trust Him. And the way we deal with those stinking, unplanned, I don't want to do parts of my life can actually encourage people. Y'all know I kind of like uh, Francis Chan. He says some great things, and he's a great teacher and a good example, I believe. He says that the Bible teaches that true joy is formed in the midst of the difficult seasons of life. And looking back over 40 years of walking with Christ, I see that some of my greatest growth opportunities have happened when the pain was the greatest. 
And so the way that Paul just keeps living this purpose, it's contagious. His joy is contagious and people want it. And this is, this is like crazy talk. I mean, it doesn't even make sense that we would talk like this. People are so attracted by the way that Paul is dealing with this thing that they can't even imagine. They just want to preach the gospel and they want to do it better than they've been doing it because they're so motivated by what they're seeing him do. And some have false intentions they just want to be popular. They just want the spotlight. And Paul even found joy in that. So this is not so different from what some preachers and teachers do today. There's a lot of real guys. A lot of real people teaching the word. Some are in it for their names and to be recognized. But Paul says either way, the gospel is being told. The gospel's still going out. Now, you've got to use the word. That's a problem for some. But it takes the word to get you to Jesus. But the gospel's being told, so I'm going to rejoice. Last scripture passage, Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says, For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect that I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been bold in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or whether I die. Deliverance is coming. Christ is going to be honored. I'm going to have joy and I may even be out of jail. But either way, I'll rejoice. Here's the key in this whole thing for me, and I hope it's a key that will help you as well. Joy does not come from our surroundings or what's happening in our lives. It comes from the inside. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. You remember Galatians last week? But the fruit of the Spirit is love and then joy. It's a gift that God gives it's part of what he wants to do in your life. I believe that God's got something that he wants to do in your life even today. And some of us need to be reminded that there's joy even in whatever's going on in your life because you're not alone. Jesus said in the very ends of his words in the end of Matthew 28, I will never leave you. I will be with you always. I am with you. You don't have to do this alone. I want you to stand where you are, please, across this room. I want you to, to listen to the Holy Spirit. Some of you in this room, you've never trusted Christ. You've never given it to Him. You've never repented of your sins. You've never trusted Him by grace through faith in the Son of God. If you haven't, you're not going to know joy. There's no way you'll know joy. But I go back and I actually noticed one of our ladies, she was reading from Habakkuk chapter 3 this morning, which was a passage I put down for this moment, that last prayer that this minor prophet prayed. And he recognized God Almighty in his great power. He had asked God to revive the work of the nations. It's where he started in the book. And then he celebrates and he praises God. And, and then there are earthquakes and floods and nations crumble and the, the crops are, nothing's growing. But in the very end, Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 18 Yet I will celebrate the Lord. I will rejoice 
in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of deer and enables me to walk on the mountain heights. I don't know if you see that last part there, but when he makes your feet like deer, I think the better picture for us may be like, you ever see the mountain goats that are able to stand on the edge of the cliff? And it just, it defies all logic because they're standing on something that's this wide with a hoof that's like this wide and they've got their big old bodies ahead and their feet are like this on the cliff. God makes us steady like that because He is our source and He is our strength. And in Him, we're not going to fall. And we need that. Father, across this room, there's healing that needs to happen because we haven't trusted. There's direction that needs to be given because we feel like we're in a hole that we can't get out of. But there's joy to be found in you and in only you. Help us to quit looking for it everywhere else to live it in you by your power. In Jesus' name. If the Holy Spirit's working on you, that's what this altar is for. Drew is here. If you need to talk, I'm here. It's time to give your life over to Christ. If you just going to make something right, do it with Jesus. Don't hesitate.